0: Hello and welcome to the Logistics Podcast. I'm your host, James Berman, editor of SHT Logistics. Thanks for joining us. This is Let's Talk Logistics, a show where we do exactly that. In this episode, I speak with Daryl K. Williams, retired Lieutenant General from the United States Army, now Vice President and Managing Director of the Logistics Division, Lydos UK. Lydos as a company operates in some amazing sectors, aviation, energy, healthcare, even space. The list is huge. This interview focuses on the business's work with the Ministry of Defence here in the UK, who inevitably played a vital role in facilitating countrywide support during the pandemic.
1: My name is Darrell Williams, and I'm the Managing Director for the UK Ministry of Defence Logistics, Commodities and Services Transformation Programme. Before we get into the thick of the
0: questions, I wondered if you might be able to give me a short background on your career so far.
1: So I've been the managing director here since last June. Prior to that, I worked at Lidos headquarters. So here in Europe, I work for Lidos UK. And then corporately, I work for our Lidos corporation, which headquarters is in Reston, Virginia. Prior to coming Lidos, I spent 37 years in the U.S. military. I was a logistician by trade, all things supply, transportation, distribution, maintenance, and I spent 37 years doing that. I culminated my career as director for what's called the U.S. Defense Logistics Agency, which provides global logistics for all U.S. military forces, and so that's a bit about my career. I would imagine that that background provides you with a unique
0: perspective on logistics, hopefully, and I'm sure that's part of the reason why you're in the position you're in now. So that's fantastic. I wondered if you could give us some background on the support that you've offered the MOD during the COVID-19
1: pandemic. Now, thanks for asking the question. Because over the last several years, it really is one of the proudest moments of the program. And so I'm sure you're familiar with the term military aid to civil authorities. And that's exactly what the MOD requested of the LCST program. And so, under their direction on the 18th of March in 2020, we responded to the defense secretary when he stood up the COVID support force to assist public services with their responses to the uh, coronavirus outbreak. You know, if memory serves, some 20,000 armed forces personnel were stood at the ready. And on any given day, There were about 4,000 troops who were committed to do things like delivering personal protective equipment, manning mobile testing units, analyzing samples, helping to build ventilators, constructing Nightingale hospitals, and so much more. And between the 22nd of February and the 8th of May, for example, UK armed forces personnel helped to deliver almost 1.2 billion items of PPE to NHS, to their frontline workers in hospitals, care homes, clinics across the country. I mean, included things like 158 million masks, 184 million aprons, 2.4 million gowns, and more. And so much of this was provided through, you guessed it, the Logistics, Commodities and Services Transport Program. So... Our logistics experts, again, on behalf of the Ministry of Defense, worked with about 80 different suppliers to supply the PPE that we talked about. And about 45 of those were brand new suppliers. And so it talks to the agility of the program and the ability to rapidly upscale to meet requirements for both military and for the Ministry of Defense. We did a lot of consumable support some 3,000, what we call NATO stock numbered items, all related to the huge COVID support effort. And so, as I stated, one of the very, very proudest moments of the program, providing support to both the military and to your public sector.
0: On that topic, I wondered how does
1: managing a logistics operation change when you put it into a military context? It's a great question. And I do have a perspective on it, as you alluded to, having done something very similar in the U.S. I do think that there are some very important distinctions. And I, uh, I must admit that I'm partial to the military supply chain side of things, having done that much time in the U.S. military, now supporting the U.K. military. But the first thing I always think about is the fact that in our context, logistics is for keeps. And so it's not a convenience. And so when you think about all of our frontline troops and others that are often in harm's way, getting them what they need when they need it is not a convenience. It's of absolute importance. And sometimes it's a matter of life and death. So I keep that in mind. The next thing I would say is that there are oftentimes a broader range of unique and bespoke items. Oftentimes, there are things that you can't just get off of the shelf at the local store or sometimes even in your own country. Sometimes you have to rely on a much more global supply chain for these unique and bespoke items. And then the last thing I would talk about is the environment in which that support is provided. So we've all gotten accustomed to, on the commercial side of things, ordering a package one day and having it show up, if not the next day, sometimes within the same day. Well, that doesn't happen often within the context of the military supply chain. And that last mile of logistics that is so important, it's easy sometimes to get it from one shore to the next, but to get it from shoreline to some very remote place on the interior of a country where our troops may be serving It's something altogether different. And so those are some of the uniquenesses, I think, of a military supply chain that I always keep in mind. And obviously your experience draws a lot on the U.S.
0: military and therefore U.S.-based logistics. But I wanted to know, how does managing a larger logistics operation differ between a U.K. and U.S. operation? Uh, That's not military-specific, that's general to logistics.
1: Obviously there is a large difference between the U.S. supply chain and the one for the UK. And I would say the largest part of it is just scope and scale. And so the US supply chain is a much more global supply chain. The size of the US military is vastly different than the size of the UK military. So in addition to support to each of the military services in the US, you have a regional global responsibility as well for large numbers of troops that are in the Indian Pacific region, large numbers of troops in Europe, large numbers of troops in the Middle East and around the world. And so the breadth and scope and the size of those operations is much larger. With that said, I think there are many, many more similarities than there are differences. Size should not be confused with level of importance. And so I think the MOD supply chain, Ministry of Defence here in the UK, uh, that supply chain, while smaller, is just as important and just as as vital to support for military operations as the U.S. Department of Defense. And then the other similarity I think is the dependence and the relationship with industry partners. Both rely heavily upon industry partners. Both for the ordering of supplies, the procurement of what we need, and then often the delivery of those supplies as well. And so, again, I think scope and scale may be different, but we're much more similar than we are different. Moving
0: along just slightly, I wanted to bring in a topic to this conversation, which is at the forefront of a lot of logistics operations, no matter how large or small they are. And it's a hot topic in the logistics press at the moment as well. Naturally, we had COP26 earlier on in the year, and I think that was sort of a push in the mainstream media, but it's been in the eyes of logistics for a while. I want to know what Lidos's approach towards sustainability
1: and carbon reduction is. So Lidos and the UK Ministry of Defence just redid our contract at the midway point, starting in 2015, a 13 year, you know, 6.7 billion pound contract. And so at about the halfway point, we redid that contract and we just signed on the 15th of December, what's called a contract amendment. A big part of the new contract amendment, which made the contract even better and even more responsive to the MOD customer The inclusion of an item of sustainability. And so by contract now, we have to help the Ministry of Defense deliver on that promise. And so some of the things that we have done, for example, is as we go out to a supplier that will supply some of the tens of thousands of items that we require, we look at things like packaging. So specifically on shirts, for example, in our defense clothing area, in our contracts now, we've pretty much taken down in half the amount of packaging that's required to deliver a shirt. And a lot of the cardboard boxes now that are used to deliver items that we consume, a lot of the cardboard inserts and the tissue paper and the clips and things of that sort are all ways in which we are attempting to make both the contract and the product that we deliver much, much more sustainable. If you look in our Defense Fulfillment Center, which is at the very heart of some of the transformation that we're delivering for the MOD, we're also looking at renewable sources of energy for the vehicles that we drive. And so it's that kind of sustainability and other initiatives that we're driving with the Ministry of Defense. Um, let's cast our minds ahead to the future. So I'm going to ask
0: you a question in a minute about future technologies. But I think before we get to that, I want to talk about logistics specifically and how you think that will look different in the future. I've given the number there, what you think it will look like in 10 years time. But if you think that's not a fair uh, time period to project to, uh, feel free to readjust it. Um, but basically, I want to know uh, what you think logistics and support and defense will look like
1: in the future. Wow. It's a great question. And I would tell you that there are a lot of answers to that question, but I'll talk about it in a general sense, in a way that I think almost anyone within the industry would identify with. And if I had to incorporate one thought, it would be this whole idea of much more reliance on data and information technology. It really is dominating the logistics industry these days. It's so much more today, I think about the data that surrounds the provision of logistics in many ways than actually the supplies themselves. It's often very easy to find supply sources, but where the real savings are, where the real efficiencies are, where the resilience is, is the ability to capitalize on the data. And so I think now and well into the future, the ability to easily manipulate that data for what-if outcomes will continue to be a huge part of what we do in the logistics space. The next thing I think is that you'll continue to see this tremendous amount of collaboration that I mentioned earlier between government And industry, I think there are many examples of how we could sort of talk about that. You know, if you just take the COVID relief effort that happened here in the UK with the UK military forces and the support that was provided. So much of that was done through collaboration with industry, you know, doing that very, very critical upfront period starting in about March of 2020 through the whole COVID relief period. About 80 different suppliers were used. And that represented, frankly, the surge capability of the Ministry of Defense industry as an extension of the logistics arm of the Ministry of Defense, providing support to both its troops and in many cases to the public sector. And so I think well into the future, you'll see this continued explosion of the need to manipulate data for better outcomes, and this critical relationship that will continue to exist between both government and industry. When I talk about technologies, I think there's some in particular that really come to mind. You'll often hear the discussion about artificial intelligence. So when I talked about that manipulation of data, much of it is being done with artificial intelligence, and it's being done much more quickly, much more efficiently and much more cleanly than we've been able to do it before. And so I think you'll see much more of the artificial intelligence. You also see much more of what we call machine learning. And I think logistics is a great application of machine learning where through continued use, the applications learn by doing and thereby providing a better outcome. So I think machine learning will also be a big part of that outcome. And then this whole issue of additive manufacturing technology. And one of those added manufacturing technologies would be something like 3D printing. instead of holding an inventory for some bespoke items that I talked about earlier, maybe you additively manufacture them because they're only required three or four times a year. And maybe you don't wanna hold that inventory and perhaps doing it in an additive manufacturing or 3D printing way, you actually reduce the cost of your overall inventory. And so as I look into the future, the future of logistics, I do think that you'll see a lot more of the use of data, the technology that'll take advantage of some of that data. And then I think you'll continue to see the collaboration between government and industry. I wait-
2: Hi, I'm Joel Martin from IMHX, and I'd like to share some insight into this year's event and invite you, the listeners of the logistics podcast, to get involved. The next IMHX event will be held at the NEC in Birmingham from the 6th to the 8th of September 2022, and we are over the moon to be welcoming our exhibitors and visitors back after a three-year hiatus. Over the last few years, the logistics industry has seen unprecedented growth and development and this will be reflected on the show floor. Exhibiting at IMHX is a surefire way to target highly sought-after audience of buyers and decision-makers. IMHX is the only event of its kind in the UK and is attended by thousands of prospective customers seeking to source new solutions to improve warehousing operations, stay ahead of the latest supply chain trends and grow their professional network. If you're interested in exhibiting, get in touch with me at john.martin.informer.com and I'll be happy to discuss options with you. Space is filling quickly, which just goes to show how excited the industry is to meet again. I'm looking forward to returning to the NEC in September and hope you will meet us there.
0: Away from logistics operations and towards the wider picture, which is obviously supply chains, And I think given the past couple of years, it's clear that resilient supply chains are key to mitigating future crises. I hope that you'd agree with that in some way. What do you think are the standout components that make up a resilient supply chain?
1: Well, I think you're pretty familiar with a paper that was written by Professor Richard Wilding. And I I think he really, really outlined the issue of the components of a resilient supply chain moving into the future quite well. And it's something called the temple of supply chain resilience. And in there, he talks about, and I think rightly so, something that has about four different components. And so broadly speaking, one of them is supply chain collaboration. And it really gets to the issue that I was talking about before this idea that not just government and industry but industry and industry and other sources that are overlooking the various sources of resilience and so I think the point that was made in the paper was supply chain collaboration. then, in addition to collaboration, you have to have supply chain design and engineering and so That involves making conscious decisions about such things as the amount of inventory that you're going to hold, uh, how much inventory is held and where the desirability of alternate sources of supply. And so he would say, I think that not only do you have the collaboration, you got to make sure that your supply chain is designed and engineered in the right way. And then there's this whole discussion, generally speaking, on supply chain. Risk management as a culture. And essentially, it's how you plan and prepare to mitigate risk. And I think we'll obviously talk about some of those risks a little bit later on. But first and foremost, some of those would be where you locate certain items within the supply chain and then certainly cyber security. So the final aspect of those four pillows would be the supply chain agility. How quickly can you respond to unforeseen events? And so I think in terms of looking at supply chains holistically, I think he did a great job of outlining what the components of that resilience would be.
0: Thank you for referencing Richard's work as well. We very much subscribe to that here. So uh, it's great that you use that as a reference and you agree with all those points. Great. Outside of the widely reported, the pandemic, Brexit, and so on, I think there's a, a small cluster of very obvious points of note there from the last few years. What would you describe as the single biggest but hidden threat to modern supply chains?
1: Well, I think I alluded to it in that last answer. The one that keeps me awake at night, if you will, is this whole issue on cybersecurity. There are any number of very, very high profile, Uh, cybersecurity incidences that have happened in recent months, certainly recent years, it almost appears that not a few months go by without some pretty high-profile cybersecurity intrusion. I would tell you here in the Logistics, Commodities, and Services Transformation Program, we're certainly not immune to that. And I would just say that an unclassified level. We certainly have those challenges as well. We do everything on behalf of the Ministry of Defense to combat those challenges. And so for me, the number one challenge would be this whole issue of cybersecurity. And then I think with regard to resilient supply chains, that's one of those items that you have to do everything you can to do something about, something you have to attempt to prevent. But your bad actors in the world evolve their capabilities and you have to learn to evolve with it. But there are also some things internally, I think, that you can do to make your supply chains even more resilient that I think are just below the waterline, but they are very much within our control. And so some of the things that we talk about, for example, are the adequacy of our systems our systems as Mr. Wilding talked about, are they adequately designed? How well do we do at things like demand forecasting, our control processes, our planning, our inventory management? All of those things are are just as dangerous on a sort of business as usual level to supply chain resilience as is things like, you know, cybersecurity. And so I think There has to be a combination of focus in both of those areas. The other thing I would talk about, I think, is the continuing global nature of our supply chains. And so in general, again, without uh, getting into anything classified, in general, the more global our supply chains for specific items, the more susceptible they are to supply chain interruption. And so that, too, is an area that we're looking at very, very closely and attempting to mitigate. How do you reduce the requirement to make your supply chain global in its orientation? Some things you can't do anything about, but those areas where we can, uh, we will in support of our UK military troops. It's actually really interesting because one of the earlier questions I asked
0: you was the difference between a logistics operation and a logistics operation in a military context. And I suppose I hadn't considered cybersecurity, the amount of added pressure to protect yourself when you put that into a a military context is is huge. Even for a normal logistics business, it's huge. So it's magnified for sure. So yeah.
1: I'd like to expound on that just a little bit. I think you're absolutely right. And you picked up a very, very Important point because, you know, one of the differences is when an adversary attacks a commercial supply chain, oftentimes it's to extract something from a monetary standpoint. We've seen that happen in the not too distant future. In a military context, we have to think about the fact that, especially in dealing with peer adversaries, one of the things that would likely happen at the onset of any hostility. Is the potential to try and disrupt your supply chain through a cyber incident. And so it's not just the physical use of force, it's the potential disruption of your supply chain. And sometimes it's not necessary to completely bring your supply chain to a screeching halt. Maybe the objective is for you to lose confidence in your own data, which could have just as damaging an effect. And so again, another difference in what could be a commercial application and what you could see on the military side of things, we, of course, have to guard against both eventualities. The skilled labor shortage that we have here in the
0: UK, it's been bubbling up for a long time, but it has sort of reared its ugly head quite recently to a critical point. Logistics is, is is important to fill it with skilled labor. I think the preconception that it's unskilled is naive, and there's certainly a lack of skilled labor. Is there anything that Lydos is doing to sort of fix this, whether that be training, upskilling, whatever?
1: Yes, uh, indeed. And another great question. You've certainly done your homework. I would say first and foremost, yes, we certainly have had some challenges over the last 18 months or so, just like everyone else. And we have, have had to employ some pretty creative ways of making sure that we had the necessary drivers to continue to accomplish the mission for the MOD. I'm happy to report that we have been able to mitigate those shortages, but it has not been without challenge. So Lidos and his partner, Kuninagel, who runs our Defense Fulfillment Center, developed a training program called Behind the Wheel. And what we did was we retrained staff who were previously escort car drivers to become class C and E drivers and who were able to drive vans and trucks. That helped us to mitigate some of the shortages. That's just one of the ideas we've had. We've obviously worked with many of the commercial hiring agencies to get more drivers. We've cross trained the drivers within the DFC itself. And so that, that's some of the ways we've been able to mitigate that shortage. But just like the rest of the industry, it really has been a challenge. I think, I won't say completely on the other side of that challenge, it's won every single day, but we found a way to mitigate it.
0: I'd like to thank Darrell Williams for his time. I hope you agree that while military logistics is very unique, and on the surface seems worlds away from your average operation. The similarities really are fascinating and just highlight that many of the issues, challenges and successes are reflected from every corner of our extensive industry. At The Logistics Podcast, we like to turn our listeners into readers and our readers into listeners. So please do sign up to the SHD newsletter by visiting shdlogistics.com. That's all from me. Thanks for listening and see you soon.